if you wonder why it is that we keep saying, by the way, there's a white supremacist element in Jewish society that needs to get dealt with. There's a white supremacist element out there. It's not fiction. It's not fantasy. There is a very alive and well and thriving white supremacist faction in Jewish society. And here's one right here. We're killed. Uh, I've been to the Holocaust Museum. The Holocaust Museum in Miami is literally across the street yeah. from my house in Miami. You know, the, 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 yeah. the big hand, yeah. hand out there. And... Um, Everyone is entitled to her opinion these days. Nothing like a 24-year-old American who knows nothing about the Holocaust to weigh in that he thinks the atrocity of the Holocaust were a little overblown. There are... Um, okay, but he doesn't say anything about the 26-year-old white girl weighing in on the atrocities yes. of slavery and minimizing that. Now, that doesn't bother him. So... This woman sits up here and attacks black people. And take a look at how long of a segment he spends redirecting and detouring the conversation completely off topic to talk about the Jewish Holocaust when we were talking about what she said to black folk. Hey, Adam, don't look now. Your swastika is showing. Concentration camps in Bucharest, in Auschwitz, all over Poland, all over Germany, littered with the uh, dead bodies of Jews and gypsies and handicapped people mm -hmm. and basically people who went against Adolf Hitler mm -hmm. and that'll never be heard from or seen again. But Nick Fuentes has an opinion that ah, doesn't think it was that bad. So, you know, they say that when you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. These are the prizes that you win when you sit down with it, someone like Nick Fuentes. Let's go to the next clip. Mm. I don't. Wow. I really don't. I, I don't. I don't just look to racist. Oh, I'm not racist. Uh, yes, you are. Yes, you are, Nick. Yeah, I am a little bit yeah, racist. I but I am a little bit racist. racist. I hate people. I love people. It's just <clears throat> race is real. Race is real. Race is a part of us. So, hey, it is what it is. And um, the Italians, we do not claim you. Oh, oh, hey, the Italians don't claim you. You're the one dating a black guy. The okay, now this is King Rich's woman. And King Rich's was, was he in the room? Folks tell me that he was in the room at the time that Nick Fuentes said this. So if those reports are true, by the way, this is King Rich's woman. He's sitting up here giving out passes all over the place. But, you know, I mean, Capella Dames, I understand. She's not a racist. Okay, well, <laughs> y'all sitting there letting dude talk to your woman like that? Okay. That tells me everything I need to know about you. Buddy, that tells me everything I need to know about you. Hey, Liverpool, is this your man? Liverpool, is this your man? Lancashire, is this your man? London, is this your man? I just want to know, hey, ladies, is this the type of masculinity you want? I would, you want to talk about pearly things? You want to pretend she's going to talk about masculinity? By the way, is this the example of masculinity that you ladies out there in London are looking for? A dude talks to you like this? So, hey, it is what it is. And um, the Italians, we do not claim you. Oh, 
oh, hey, the Italians don't claim you. You're the one dating a black guy. The Italian. And there's your man sitting there like a five-year-old deer in the headlights. So, all right. This your man? Is this your man? Italians don't claim me. They don't claim you. Oh, no, they claim me. They claim me. I don't think so. They do. Italian guys, yeah. Italian Tell an Italian guy about your affinity for black guys. That'll go over real well. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, Nick. <laughs> Maybe. She knows that. He's some brajol. <laughs> there, there's a retaliation. No, but I will make my uh, black boyfriend some of that. Ugh, wow. You don't know any better. Yay. Yeah, it's just, um, it's just sad. I think, you know, here's what I will say. Don't cancel this guy. Let him keep talking. Yeah. Well, now, did you get that? Now, he didn't come out and say white supremacy is there. He just said, well, that's just sad. A radical difference from the way in which he was characterizing the subject when it was talking about his people. With his people, it's white supremacists. When he's talking to us, it's, oh, well, you know, that's sad. But don't cancel him. Do you all recognize when you see fellow travelers of white supremacy? You see, he sees how Nick Fuentes is useful against black folk and Booster Burley things is useful against black people. See, I here knows who his target is. He knows who his target is, and he's defending it. And once again, he doesn't give any justification or defense for why she would do that, but you're getting off subject there because it doesn't matter about Nick Fuentes. This is about pearly things. So you all notice he's taking the conversation off of pearly things and tried to recenter it on Nick Fuentes to try to distract us. Hey, man, you're trying to take us off topic. Back to pearly things. How are you going to defend what she said? This is your proof. He can't defend any of it. His only defense is to attempt to change the subject. Yeah, because he's like, love the anti-Semitic stuff that you're talking about, Nick. But I'm just Oh, gonna, by the way, let me back up. You're like, all blacks are this. All Jews are this. All whites are this. All Mexicans are this. It's a very dangerous predicament to be in, okay? And this is somebody that Kanye West has aligned himself with. And that's a very um, tough needle to thread when you're Kanye because he's like, love the anti-Semitic stuff that you had talking about, Nick, but I'm just going to look the other way about the black stuff. So once again, he's trying anti-Semitism. Boy, he really doesn't like anti-Jewish behavior. Now that he got smoked for years. You talk about white supremacy against black folk and all of a sudden you're woke and SJWs. These are hardcore, dyed-in-the-wool, ethnic race warrior white supremacists and you two boost them every single day. You don't get a choice of whether you see valuetainment. If you come to YouTube's website, you're going to see valuetainment. You're going to see all of valuetainment's websites, all their channels on YouTube. You will not be able to escape it any more than you can escape Joe Rogan, PewDiePie. You notice we keep having a never-ending list of individuals with white supremacist statements, white supremacist connections, white supremacist expressions, and but YouTube puts those at the top of your page. So if you come to YouTube's website, they make sure they feed that to you and nobody questions. By the way, what did I do or say to get fed and valuetainment? What did I look at? And YouTube's like, well, you know what I mean? You might want to see this. Eh, let me go ahead and click past that. 
You come back the next day, here it is again, here it is again, here it is again. And then you finally just figure, well, the stuff on your homepage is boring. Let me go ahead and take a look at this because, well, they keep sending it to me every day. Maybe there's something to it. This is how radio airplay works. They just play the same old lame ass song over and over and over and over again. And out of a country of 300 million people, if you can get 1 million of them, which is only a fraction of 1% to go along with it, well, then next thing you know, you quote have a hit song with a fraction of a percentage point of a population. This is how YouTube works. So what you all need to do is not look at subscriber numbers, look at subscriber numbers only in the context of view counts and influence this is why these folks were hiding from us for weeks. We got the influence, they don't. And he's proving it now. But recognize these are hardcore white supremacists and anti-black racists, and this is who YouTube boosts daily. So if there's anything that we can say about Kanye, is obviously no fan of Jews, but loves blacks. So how do you advocate for someone like Nick Fuentes that basically is like, ugh, black people, ugh, can't believe it. It's like, how do you I think it's just congregate around? Now, you notice he's trying to change the subject again. Nobody gives a damn what Kanye has to say. So this guy is trying to deflect and distract everywhere. This is what white supremacists do. This is a this is basically step two from the white supremacist playbook. When you know you've got a losing cause, deflect, distract, point attention somewhere else. Talk about anything other than pearly things. He's talking about anyone and everyone except pearly things. Can we get the subject back on pearly things, sir? You got a whole video here with her in the in the headline. You even tagged her. But he doesn't want to talk about her. He wants to talk about Nick Fuentes. So just understand this misdirection that this white Jewish white supremacist on valuetainment, and I'm putting this at your doorstep, Patrick. Because you've done and said some things, too, when you interviewed uh, Roland Martin, of all people. Actually didn't make a damn blithering fool of himself for once in, the, once in his life. We should bronze that interview. Patrick Bet David said he didn't care about data. When he, Roland, uh, Roland actually brought some data to prove the racism in, in, in American society and in housing. And Patrick just said, well, you know, I mean, anybody can bring data. First, Patrick asked for data, and when Roland brought it to him, he starts dismissing it. So, Patrick, don't look now. Uh, your alt-right tiki torch is burning. <laughs> Black people. Oh, can't believe it. It's like, how do you I think it's just congregate like, around that? I think it's not even so much the what they're having the attitude about. I think it's more so just the way of, like, behaving. Like, that whole mindset of, like, okay, maybe I don't hate the same type of people as you, but I understand that feeling of, like, hating a specific group of people. So I think maybe that's where they maybe they feel like they relate, even though not necessarily on the same things. It's just the way it's structured. I think they agree with, which I mean, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. So, you know, you want to do that. I think what you got to be very careful is when you have those type of controversial guests on and you agree on certain things, you have to do a very good job explaining yourself um, because you can see that clip from Pearl and instantly be like, oh, you know, yeah. this, you know, the, have an opinion about her and you don't know anything about her. Um, now she just now she finally said it. That by the way, when you bring someone on and then you agree with what they have to say, 
they say these racist things and then you agree with them. She says that right before she starts issuing passes. So they bring on some tatted up. Yeah, I saw your wrist, baby. They bring on some tatted up Insta, Insta chick, Instagram chick. This is their thought. They can't bring on somebody with some sense who actually knows about these things and will push back. They just bring on some chick who looks cute on an Instagram reel. And that's supposed to be the spokesperson for black people. This would be a bad joke if it wasn't real. It is kind of a real tough thing that she did say, you know, both of them. Um, because with history, you know, there's proof that, you know, Holocaust took place and slavery took place. And they're both horrible things, you know. So to kind of downplay it, to kind of get your point across can offend people. And, you know, for the right reasons, you know, you've had family that, you know, did pass away from the Holocaust. So, you know, people who maybe have more of an immediate uh, uh, relationship with that whole experience, they take a lot of offense to that. So, but that, you know, that comes with the territory of saying bold statements, you know, putting your... You notice how quiet Adam got now? When she said, by the way, they both said some tough statements there about the Holocaust and about slavery. Did you notice Adam ain't so damn chatty anymore? You notice he's shutting that damn flapping mouth of his all of a sudden. Did you notice that? He didn't want to step in and say anything there, so she shut him up real quick, even though she's basically sitting here being an apologist for white supremacy also. She isn't really doing any pushback. She just simply said, you know, by the way, they both said Adam has gone out of his way not to reference pearly thing statements against black people and slavery denying. So when this woman here actually does say something about it, he immediately starts ignoring it. Folks, that's what I mean. You are dealing with hardcore, alt-right, white supremacists given a platform on YouTube. A mega multi-billion dollar international conglomerate is getting together, boost signal boosting the value-tainments and the just pearly things and the Joe Rogans. You get a steady stream of white supremacist alt-right propaganda day in and day out. And then they tell you that these are rising stars and that this is what you really want to see. And you don't know anything about her. Um, we know she's a white supremacist. We know that. I know what my damn ears heard. I don't have to see her autobiography. These folks trying to feed you the idea that you don't know her. Yes, we do. Yes, we do know you. When I can hear you go on and on and on and on, denying racism, defending slavery, minimizing it, quoting every single anti-black bootlick you can name, palling around with Nick Fuentes and Ben Shapiro, when you can go on and on and on and on like that, this isn't a matter of what we don't know. We know exactly who you are. I don't have to sit up here and be your roommate for five years. I don't have to live with you for 10 years to know if you're a white supremacist. I can know if you're a white supremacist with about five seconds. I know exactly who you are. Don't let somebody feed you this lie that you got to sit up here and be bosom buddies and be live-in roommates with somebody for five or six years before you can really know who they are. The hell you do. Try that Jedi mind trick on somebody and dump her. You know, this, yeah. you know the, have an opinion about her and you don't know anything about her. Um, it is kind of a real tough thing that she did say, you know, both of them, um, because with history, you know, there's proof that, you know, Holocaust took place and slavery took place and they're both horrible things, you know, so to kind of downplay it, to kind of get your point across 
can offend people. And, you know, for the right reasons, you know, you've had family that, you know, did pass away from the Holocaust. So, you know, people who maybe have more of an immediate uh, uh, relationship with that whole experience, they take a lot of offense to that. So, but that, you know, that comes with the territory of saying bold statements, you know, putting your opinion out there. You're going to have certain things where people are going to push back at you. You may say something that didn't come out the way you wanted it to. And, you know, that's just kind of how you have to deal with it. But, I mean, that's what happens when, you know, you got freedom of speech. You have the freedom to say what you want. Yeah. And uh, I'm okay with that. So, yeah. look, um, here's my message, uh, I think, at the end of the day here. Uh, a lot of people out there. Or trying to cancel Pearl now. Yes. Or call her a racist. Or basically say, you know, that she is taking advantage of people. Or uh, she has a lot of black people that work for her that are basically up in arms about this. I get it. Um, this is my opinion now. Uh, I think Pearl is a good person. Uh, I do not think that she's racist. Uh, she has not shown me, us, yeah. anything like that. I think she's a person that is open to sitting down with anybody but sometimes when you're open to sitting down with anybody you get sat next to somebody that is going to make you look very bad so you notice that all of these folks who keep soft shoeing backpedaling all these people who keep being apologists all these people who sit up here and spend weeks and ain't said nothing to nobody. And when they finally do speak up, they're telling you, well, you know, I mean, that ain't real racism. I mean, that ain't racism now. It's, I mean, it's some of the stuff she said was <clears throat> tough. Tough. Really? Some of the stuff she said was, I mean, I could see how it could be offensive, so you don't think it was offensive. You just see how some people could think it was offensive. Now, for the Jewish Holocaust, you don't get spotted for, well, it could be offensive. It better be offensive. But you start hearing this from people over and over again. Oh, she's just ignorant. And meanwhile, I'm sitting here playing for you where she's going on and on and on about all the chapter and verse. She knows Thomas Sowell up one side and down the other don't know a damn thing about Chancellor Williams or Francis Cress Wilson. She doesn't know anything about that. But every alt-right white supremacist or white supremacist adjacent individual you can name, she's got all the details and features. Folks. When you hear anybody sit up here and try to tell you, well, she's just ignorant. She just doesn't know. She's only 26 and she's talking about things she doesn't know about. You listen again and you tell me if this sounds like somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about, hasn't studied it in depth, hasn't gone down the specific in line of inquiry to learn this specific version of events. She's coming right off the top of her head with it. You tell me if this sounds, quote, ignorant and uninformed they had in the end themselves yet they only produced like seven percent of the country's dairy because it was just really unproductive and there was and you know um all the the like whippings or whatever like that stuff mm -hmm. like it was it was just common there like the white people were whipped too and like the white people were whipped too huh yeah, in antebellum slavery, the white folk got whipped too. Really. And there was, and you know, um, all the, the like whippings or whatever, like mm -hmm. that stuff. Mm -hmm. Like it was, it was just common there. Like the white people were whipped too. Notice, remember before when she said that slavery stuff? 
slavery and stuff. Now it's whippings and stuff. That stuff. In like the first time in the country's dairy, because it was just really unproductive. And there was, and you know, um, all the the like whippings or whatever, like mm-hmm. that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was just common there. Like the white people were whipped too. And like, and there was, and you know, um, all the the like whippings or whatever, like mm-hmm. that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was just common there. Like the white people were whipped too. And like they, they were, there was more recorded lashings of like the white people down there than there was the black people. Science resources, bitch. Another crazy thing. Another crazy thing. When race relations got really bad in the U.S. Mm-hmm. for like in the sixties, mm-hmm. race relations were getting better before that. But what happened was a huge group of people from the south migrated. So she's telling you that now. Understand, she just talked about the sixties. Now she said, but before the sixties, so from nineteen hundreds to nine, from nineteen hundreds to nineteen sixty. What about the bombings of the Black Wall Street? What about Rosewood? What about Wilmington? What about Philadelphia? So that was those were the good days. Race relations were good. Oh, it only went downhill after that. Oh, so the bombings of Black Wall Street, that that was the top of the, oh, those were the good old days, according to Pearl. She's sitting here naming what it was. The avalanche of lynching around America. She's sitting here naming what it was. She's sitting here saying exactly what it was and telling you, oh, before 1960, race relations were good. And then all those black folks started migrating north. Wait a minute, if race relations were good before 1960, then why is it that black people migrating would suddenly turn race race relations bad if things were good? So you're not just contradicting yourself, you're just lying. Now she knows what she's saying isn't accurate, but that's propaganda. But yeah, folks, she's telling us that in the 1910s, 1920s, read the autobiography of Malcolm X when he talked about black folk. If you couldn't get any type of help from uh, public assistance or something, black folk starved. It's in his autobiography. And remember, before what, the New Deal, you couldn't, you know, welfare was only reserved for white women. They gave the money to the states and they would only give assistance to white women. Yeah, those were the good old days. In the 1910s, 1920s, 1930s, Jim Crow, segregation, black folk being killed if they came on the wrong side of town. Yeah, those were the good old days. In Pearl's eyes, if you let her tell it, those were the good old days, according to uh, your good friends over there at Valuetainment. Those were the good old days. Nothing that they need to speak against. No problems at all. Where they had in the Antebellum South, they only like, produced like stuff, like mm-hmm. that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was just common there. Like the white people were whipped too. Mm-hmm. And, like they, they were. There was more recorded lashings of like the white people down there than there was the black people. Cite your sources, bitch. Another crazy today. Another crazy thing. When race relations got really bad in the U.S. Mm-hmm. for like in the sixties, mm-hmm. race relations were getting better before that. But what happened was a huge group of people from the South migrated. Mm-hmm. So when like then you would see race relations get bad. Mm-hmm. So like in the twenties, thirties, forties, basically 
and I might, I might be butchering the years. They, um, how do I say this? They, race relations were getting better and they measured this with like instances of hate crimes were going down. There's less like they weren't, they weren't, they didn't have the, like no blacks allowed signs that the interracial marriages were going up. Folks, if they didn't have the no blacks allowed signs in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, then why in the hell did you need desegregation? Why did you need Brown versus Board of Education? Why did you need that? Why did you need the Civil Rights Acts of the 60s if there weren't signs saying no coloreds allowed? You got water fountains that said whites and coloreds. You got water fountains, civic services, whites and coloreds, restaurants, white entrance, colored entrance. You got folks sitting up here saying this, and, and why in the world did you need that? Why did you need to have a civil rights act in the 60s? Couple of them. Why did you need to have that if those if there were no no coloreds allowed signs? Why did you need it? So just understand, a white supremacist will sit here, and she's talking to a little brown bimbo over there, they will sit here and say nonsense to you if they think you don't know better. It isn't because Pearlie is ignorant. It is because she sees herself in a racial conflict, and the tool that they use is erasing history and simply saying that didn't happen. And when you bring them proof, they'll say that's just one place. And if you show them 10 places, well, that's just 10. And if you show them 1,000, they'll say, well, you know, there was that was just a crazy year that was happening in. If you show them a decade, well, it was just a crazy decade. But they are here to fight against reality and facts. They're here to fight against it. And a huge influx of, of the population from the South came in. That's when you see the the race relations get bad again. The signs come up. People, so do you think America, do you think the people that were brought over to America were the more vulnerable? That way they were able to be more like malleable to a different, a different life because they were weaker and everything. They were able to be controlled more. You think that's a thing? I mean, partially, yeah. I think Ben Shapiro quote tweeted that and said, "The surest sign of anti-Semitism is to accuse a no. Jewish person." Yeah, he called you an anti-Ben. Yeah, I love Ben Shapiro. Ben. And I guess you should probably say the same thing about Candace Owens. <laughs> I love Candace. She loves Candace. Because they were weaker and sign of anti Ben? Yeah. I love Ben. Ben! And I guess you should probably say the same thing about Candace Owens. <laughs> I love Candace. She loves Ben Shapiro. She loves Candace Owens. Come on our channel. I'm Italian. The only times I'm on time for things is when I like get the time wrong. When I think I'm supposed to be there way earlier than I'm actually You're supposed on time to be today. there. Because I thought I was supposed to be here at three. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I texted you. I texted you I'm on my way because I thought I was already ten minutes late <laughs> when I was leaving. Yeah, well, so. it's okay. Blessing was more late. Uh, late after. <laughs> well, he's black. Yeah. <laughs> I'm giving you a hard time. I don't mean. No, so he's really offended. <laughs> By the way, um, shout out here to um Mike TV. 
for putting up his video because he was like me in a lot of regards here. Pearl is trying to go back through her videos now and she's trying to scrub them. She's trying to go back and sanitize her video library. So Mike TV basically downloaded that video. He's been monitoring her for a while and he downloaded the video and it's a good thing he did because she's removed the video. So the video of the clips y'all see me playing from the beginning there, by the way, she's taking that video down. Sound familiar? Yeah, just like she took down this video. So she's so proud of her work. She's such, she's so, so not anti-black. She's such a non-white supremacist that she's scrubbing her videos and removing them. Yeah, she's no white supremacist. That's why she's deleting videos all over the place. Yeah, the further you dig back in the crates in the archive here, you're just finding more and more and more. It kind of puts that whitest girl in the world stick she used to have. It kind of puts that in a new context, doesn't it? Kind of puts it in a new context. The more you dig, the more of this stuff you find. When folks sitting up here telling you it's not what you think it is. Okay, blessing was more late after <laughs> Well, he's black. Yeah. <laughs> I'm giving you a hard time. I don't mean. No, <laughs> so he's really offended. <laughs> I mean, look at the laughter. This is this is the face and the sound of ignorance on racism. This isn't knowledge, knowledgeable racism. This isn't conscious racism. This is just ignorant. I'm Italian. The only times I'm on time for things is when I like get the time wrong. When I think I'm supposed to be there way earlier than I'm actually you supposed on time to be today? there. Because I thought I was supposed to be here at three. Oh, really? <laughs> That's why I texted you. I texted you I'm on my way because I thought I was already 10 minutes late when I was leaving. Yeah, well, so. it's okay. Blessing was more late, uh, late African. <laughs> well, he's black. Yeah. <laughs> the founder of, or the guy who made Roots said, I wanted a myth for my people to live by. So they often, but that's what they do is they. Does that sound like ignorant and uninformed to you all? That she can sit here and rattle off supposed names and dates and times of history. She can sit here and name off Alex Haley, the guy who wrote Roots, she can sit here and name Thomas Sowell and Candace Owens and Ben Shapiro and Nick Fuentes. At what point do you have, have you seen enough evidence that it lets you know, hey, she knows exactly what she's saying. She is completely knowledgeable of what she's saying. How many passes you gonna give? How much of obvious evidence are you gonna disregard and ignore before you say, well, yeah, this person knows how much you gotta see. What does she gotta say? Let me tell you people, the most heinous form of white supremacy is getting people to say it doesn't exist calling it something else, naming it something else so that it can still sit there in the room with you. That's not white supremacy, that's ignorance. That's obviously white supremacy over there. No, that's that's silliness. That's obviously white supremacy. No, that's naive. And then the folks, understand something, the only reason that we're talking about this now is because your bigger YouTubers sat on this and refused to speak. They refused to say anything.
Why not? They want to make it like more horrible so that they can control people. I just don't like her. I never did. At the end of the day, do I think she's some kind of race supremacist? No, I don't. Do I think she's a grifter? Absolutely. Yeah, I do. I don't think she believes half the stuff that she says that comes out of her mouth. And then on racial issues, I don't even think that she's some kind of supremacist. I just think she's ignorant. That's it. I just think she's ignorant. And when a man came on the platform and said a bunch of stuff, she just didn't have the royal thought or the ability to counter anything because she wasn't well read on. And there was a lot of things that she wasn't being on that, you know, with whatever. What, what, what do you mean by that, dude? There was a lot of things she was green on. She was like, whatever. A lot of things she was agreeing on. She was agreeing that slavery was embellished and exaggerated. She was agreeing that black people are lazy. She was agreeing that black people are not on time. That's what she was agreeing on. And she wasn't just agreeing it. She said it herself. She wasn't just agreeing. She said it herself. I'm holding nice program because, yeah, let me go ahead and get back to what I was saying here before. Because we need to have a moment here to go ahead and have some clearing of the air. What in the world is it with our immigrant class that every time we point out white supremacy, they sitting up here explaining it away? How is it y'all are so damn comfortable with it? Like it just doesn't bother you at all. Now, unless they come after you. Now, when they start rounding you up and targeting you, then all of a sudden it's black fist and we all need to know Trump. All of a sudden it's that. As soon as Trump get out of office and, and stop putting the boot on your name, ain't no white supremacy. I mean, you can't find a racist anywhere. So I'm asking some simple questions here tonight. I want to know what is it about the immigrant class? Because I know why YouTube would boost it, but what is it about the immigrant class that they are just, no matter where you go, they are just totally comfortable and at home and at ease and never bothered with white supremacy. White supremacy doesn't bother them. In America, in Britain, in Africa, in Australia, in Canada. Yeah, I know what they, I know what they are. In Canada, no matter where they go, white supremacy, it doesn't matter how vicious it is. History don't matter. Man, toss that out. We don't care about that. Man, we don't bother about that. They're not racist. I mean, they're just ignorant. And so what ends up happening is they leave it to the sensible people to have to fight for the whole people's survival. Because these folks here are trying to figure out a way to hide from reality. They figure themselves, well, don't worry. If, if, if the race war jumps off, uh, he can just go ahead and hide behind his white girlfriend. I got a feeling that that's what King Poverty has to say there. That he thinks that if things go south, well, hey, y'all don't have a reason to come at me. I was never really going at white supremacy like that. So Nick Fuentes, if y'all want to do something, don't, don't, don't come at me now because I was never really fighting y'all, see? Over there in value tainment. Now they're shaking in their boots. And they should be because we're taking the sheets off the white supremacists now. And you spent weeks trying to pretend that it doesn't matter or that you didn't know. So, folks, when you start seeing a stable pattern of behavior popping up over and over and over again, that isn't something you ignore. The deadliest thing in the world you can do with white supremacy is pretend that you don't see it or. They cow you under that you just say, you, you act like you don't care. Which is why I said at the beginning, 
How do you deal with a truly heinous historical act that everyone has evidence showing that it occurred? You either get people to not see it or you get people to not care. And if I can tell you that white supremacy is, well, no, it's not really white supremacy, it's ignorance. It's ignorance. And understand the next thing you understand here, folks, there's a whole bunch of folks out here who these white YouTubers and these white adjacent, white supremacist adjacent YouTubers, man, don't y'all know that's why the only thing that these fools can tell you is that they got paid. Do you all notice that? All the folks caping for these white supremacists, I'm talking about value payment, all of them, the only thing they can tell you is they got paid. King Slouch talking about plenty of things that done plenty of things for people, you know, things she didn't have to do. Yes, she does have to do it. If she brought you there and you did work for her, yes, she does. Well, she doesn't have to employ black folk. Um, nobody asked her to. Nobody demanded it. So if do y'all understand the slavish coon ass buck dancing plantation Billy Boy mindset this clown got? That if you work for Pearl, she didn't have to do that. She doesn't have, she gave folk things they didn't have to. If you work for her, she gotta pay you. That's not a charity. If you work for it, she has to pay you. So even if he works for her, well, you know, I mean, she doesn't have to pay us. You know, she didn't have to pay us for that. That was just out of the goodness of her heart. And truly, what? You're trying to put all of that on her? And it's not like that. It's not like that. She didn't have to do that. <laughs> I mean, she could have worked you for 14, 15 hours, you know. She didn't have to work. Just because she worked you doesn't mean she had to pay you. She could have she just skipped it over, mate. She didn't have to do that. Do you understand? If this fellow right here, they need to come import a plantation so he can get to work. This fellow lives in a day and age where it is obviously clearly defined as employment, and he's telling you it isn't. She ain't gotta pay you. She doesn't have to do that. Yes, she does. He's so determined to stay in good with them. He's obviously so worried that if he says the wrong thing, his white girlfriend don't look at him crazy. Yeah, because understand how they do things there. It's okay with them if, if they fight amongst themselves. They can fight amongst themselves, and that's all right. If they fight amongst themselves, one Italian, or in Nick's case, Italian, Spanish, whatever, whatever one he wants to claim this week, you all know Nick, an Italian named Fuentes, whichever one he wants to claim this week. But by the way, you notice that when the Italians are fighting with each other, okay, you just hang back. You let her take care of that. Yeah, because she doesn't want you getting it into your head that as a black man, that she has the optics of a black, of her telling a black male to put the leash on a white man. If you all think I'm overreaching or overstating it, I'm going to open up here in a moment. You can go ahead and call me on that. But by the way, yeah, when it was time to go ahead and draw down, they didn't really want him doing it. Not that he's capable. Not that he's capable. Not that he's capable or that he'd ever do it. That wouldn't happen. But I want you to recognize what you're up against here. And what I want to do, I'm going to go ahead and open up Zoom. 
and I'm going to open up the phone lines. And I want us to have a discussion about that tonight to our immigrants out there, both in the U.S. and the U.K. But you know what? Africa, uh, Australia, New Zealand, where Canada, wherever. We we'll have a. We need to talk about this tonight. What is up with y'all? And this denying of racism everywhere we go. Y'all are just super cool with it. Like you're one of them. Well, you know, it's not that big of an issue. It's just ignorance. Y'all are hella cool with white supremacists. You're hella cool with it in the room. You're always apologizing for it, explaining, redefining, minimizing. You're always doing that. You all got a very, very clear, concise, consistent pattern of just explaining for white supremacy and don't bother you. It doesn't matter how heinous it is now until they come at you. Once they come at you, then all of a sudden y'all want to try to boss up. But man, th th this is really something I want us to discuss here tonight. So I'm going to go ahead and open up the uh, Zoom. Let's go ahead and get the Zoom going. And I'll go ahead and open up the telephone lines here in just a moment. But remember, I give priority to Zoom. I give priority to Zoom. And I wanted to talk about this tonight. Understand something. I'm not talking about pearly things tonight. I'm not talking about pearly things. I'm talking about everything else. And all the folks who have been so comfortable with this. This is unnatural selection. This is unnatural selection. So to all the folks out there, if you come from an immigrant background, if your folks are not foundationals, that's cool, that's great. I want somebody to talk to me tonight. By the way, all the folks jumped up here on Zoom. If you get on Zoom and if you don't come in, I'm going to have to... I'm going to start removing people for good. Hey, we're not here to play tonight. Don't hop on Zoom if you're not going to be on. It's simple as that. Don't hop on if you're not going to be on. But I'm having a conversation here tonight about our immigrant class around the world, not just in America. Y'all are hella cool with this. We're not supposed to ever have a situation where we show up and it's two or three weeks later and you haven't said anything. And then when you finally do say something, it's, well, you know, the white supremacist chick is just ignorant. What are we in third grade? How old do you have to be before you can no longer hide behind quote unquote ignorance? How old do you have to be? At what point are you too old to claim that you are ignorant? At what point do you no longer get to claim that? To my folks on Zoom here, I want everybody, if you are on Zoom, please make sure you turn your cameras on if you're going to join us. All right, looks like we got one person on Zoom there. Is this Brother Sanchez? You're on live. What's on your mind? How you doing, Jason? I want to say salutes to you and the platform that you built here. I want to commend your bravery for speaking out um, when a lot of brothers is selling out. And I also wanted to ask you a question and continue to listen in and uh, just suck in the information from the sidelines. 
The question was, what do you think about the history of these immigrant selling outs and the role that they playing now with just Pearly? Can you give us the history of how long this been going on? Because I argue with a lot of people about Marcus Garvey, and I say he was similar to the same kind of immigrants you're speaking out of here, where they'll get the people behind, you know, he kind of undermined a, a Black American movement here in his time. I was wondering if you could briefly speak on that. I would, I, I would love to hear your intake on that, my good brother. Thank you for the show. For the show. Thank you very much for giving us a call here. Um, certainly where Marcus Garvey is concerned, there were pros and there were cons. So certainly there was that. As far as this practice of doing these things, you're going to notice that there was some of that before the 1900s, but really it's when America starts throwing open the doors. That's when it starts happening. That's when it starts happening. They start throwing open the doors. They start throwing open the doors, and when you start having your immigration acts in the 1960s and then the 80s, what they really started doing was they started targeting a certain type of person. They started targeting a certain type of individual. They started targeting, those are the folks that they let over here. They knew the countries and places they were coming from. They knew the people who it was that they were letting in. The State Department was vetting who it was. So you couldn't come over here if you had a rep for being a troublemaker somewhere. If you had a reputation in, in, in Haiti, Jamaica, uh, Africa for being a troublemaker, you couldn't come to America. Remember, Woodrow Wilson was the one who was met. President Richard, Woodrow Wilson, talking about Marcus Garvey, because they targeted him. President Woodrow Wilson, he was the one who, they were letting in immigrants from everywhere except Africa. They wouldn't let him in from Africa. So we had a much stronger idea of white supremacy then because white supremacy wasn't as sophisticated as it is now. What I'm saying it didn't evolve to the point of saying, okay, there's a certain type of Negro we can let in. There's a certain type we can let in. We can let in, there's a certain type of one that we can let in that will destabilize the others. And now in America today, about 25% of your black population is from immigrant classes. And what do you know? You start having more people on YouTube, more people online, more people in schools, more people in government than ever before, whose first issue is denying white supremacy. So-called black politicians and their first order of business is ain't no white supremacy, ain't no problem. What you mean there's an issue? There's no problem here. So it really kicks up its steam after the 1960s with the uh, Immigration Reform Act. And once that starts happening, now they start curating and picking a certain type of black person from overseas. Then the State Department, you know, they got their consulates and everything. They, they, they let the word get out to the folks there, what you got to do and who you got to be in order to get a visa or a green card or citizenship in America. They made it clear who they were looking for. They made it clear who they were looking for. In the chat room, you're correct. When you take a look at the parents, for example, of uh, Kamala Harris or Barack Obama, there's a certain type of person that they wanted to let over here, a certain type of individual. And without that, no, th this was not accidental. None of these folks got let over here by accident. All of them were let over here by design. All right, on Zoom, we got Immigrant B1, you up on bat. 
What's on your mind, brother? Yeah, uh, Jason, I think that the uh, the reason why authors, immigrants, and children are so comfortable with white supremacy is because of something that you have said before. We keep telling ourselves that we'll be okay as long as we can find like a comfortable place next to the, the, the white supremacists, like as long as, you know, they're not trying to kill us in particular, then, you know, it's okay. And then we only protest to the extent that we do when they start attacking us personally, you know, just like you had when the, the war in Ukraine started. And then all of a sudden you had the, the Ukraine officials telling the immigrants that they're going to have to get off the trains and off the buses and let the Ukrainians on first. Then all of a sudden, it became an issue of you know being black in general. It wasn't anymore about one Nigeria or from Cameroon, you know. So at that point, it became always because we're black. But in any other situation, as long as you know the immigrants are not being attacked, then it's like well, it's just ignorance. It's just passive. And then I also want to add that when it comes specifically to the white women, I think the bitter truth is that a lot of times when we give why women in the past is because most of us are trying to have sex with them. So I think specifically when it comes to the white women, that's what uh, causes a lot of immigrant black men to act like they don't they didn't hear what they just heard because they keep telling themselves that if I tolerate what I know is racism not enough, eventually I'll get my turn to to have sex with them. So yeah, I mean, you know, that, that makes it real hard. I mean, how do we as foundationals in America, how do we beat that offer? Hey, King Riches, I, I, I only hang with black folk like that. I ain't got no white women to bring you. So King Riches is like, hey, you, you, you don't have a good enough offer to bring me. And, and he's right. He's right, brother. I don't have any white women to bring to him. So if I don't have any white women to bring to him, he's like, hey, you ain't got nothing to offer me. Nothing I'm interested in. So yeah, no wonder. Yeah, we we got as far as he's concerned, we got nothing to offer. Now everybody's cool with that until we go south. Yeah. Now when yeah. it goes south, all of a sudden he's gonna be the blackest thing in Essex. But until then, yeah. And it, it's it's like you said before. Unfortunately, we are uh, uh, immigrants. The only time we stand up is when someone is actively trying to you know kill us because if the races are just you know if they're just races are not just to say like you know racist things but they don't attack us physically then we're okay it's only when you know you have these white people moving to africa visiting africa and they're getting this you know these aid workers from unicef and all that getting women pregnant and they just disappearing getting uh, african women pregnant and disappearing it's only if that starts happening a lot if you know you hear about black men getting raped and all that in africa then all of a sudden now it's a problem but if if that wasn't happening if it was just like racism and if it was directed only at the foundation of black americans then i think africans would be like well i mean it's not really that bad so i mean here's the thing brother the problem with this uh you have a you either gonna come from a culture that's fight or flight. And the problem with the folks who come from the flee culture is they're used to other people fighting their battles for them. So their their goal becomes whoever wins, I'm gonna see if I can whore myself out to them. 
it doesn't become about the spirit of Dessaline and the Overture. It's not about the spirit of that anymore. The spirit of Bookman Dougie is not about that anymore. Hell, it's not even about the spirit of Garvey anymore. It's really, well, let me figure out the side who's winning and let me go try to cozy up to them and do whatever they want. And so they've gotten so accustomed to other people fighting their battles for them that they've actually become entitled to it. Like, for example, a lot of them tell themselves, because this is what happens, and you know this from experience, when they when the white folks show up in these places, what they tell them is, oh, we want y'all there because you're smarter than the black folks. You work harder than the black folks we got where we at. So you work harder, even though they're going to pay you less. Even though they're specifically bringing you there because they're going to pay you less. Yeah. Shout out pearly things. Specifically because they're going to pay you less. And then they're telling you about, oh, you getting over. And I'm like, do you see the damn Jedi mind trick they just played on you? <laughs> They're telling you, oh, you gonna do? You work so much harder. It's like, well, yeah, you're gonna work for nothing, but you ain't gonna figure it out till later. And then you come up this, well, I'm better than you. Well, how do you figure that? Well, the white folks who brought me here, they just told me I'm, I'm I work harder. I'm smarter. Why? Hey, who told you that? Oh, the fellow named Quintez, the girl named Curly. They're right over there. They, they, they told me that. See? Why they come? They got a big white house. Why? Curly's dad, he makes a lot of money, like a great big house. And it's all fun and games until the roof comes in on you. And it always does. Then they'll be trying to yell and scream and backtrack it, and then just gets ugly. I'll let you have the last word. Yeah, and I think the other issue is that we, as immigrants, we still see ourselves as children, and then we see what we as the parents, because a lot of times we don't really want to compete against white people. We just want to make them happy. So in the U.S., for example, you know, white people generally like us as long as we're willing to work for them as hard as possible. But most immigrants, I'm pretty sure they know, as soon as they start even trying to compete even a little bit in terms of owning businesses, like we compete with the white-owned businesses or things like that, all of a sudden, the attitudes change. I'm pretty sure for any immigrant who has any competitive business in the U.S. or anywhere else will tell you that as soon as they start competing a little bit, all of a sudden, all that, all that niceness, all that you better than information about America, it just goes out the window. And all of a sudden, you, you're blacked out for real. Yeah, you can, look, you can prosper as much as you want to, so long as you're only doing it among the black folks. As long as you're not a threat to the establishment or the dominant society, you can do whatever you want to do. Just as soon as you start showing signs that, oh, wait a minute, I can encroach on their territory, now you're about to get caught up. Now you're about to get tripped up. For years and years, folks have talked about, there was a survey that was done years and years and years ago. Talking about how, I think it was people of West Indian descent in Queens, New York. We're talking about in Queens, New York. That, that was the, that is there a place in America where black people make more money than the white folk do? And they were talking about per capita in Queens, New York, back about 10, 15 years ago. They're saying that, well, those are a group of black folk who do. And I'm like, do you realize out of a country of 300 million people, out of 50 states, out of hundreds, if not thousands of counties, do you realize that all you can do is narrow that down to one small geographic location within the geographic location? That is it. Black Wall, the Black Wall Street in Tulsa was in Oklahoma. 
Rosewood, Florida, Wilmington, North Carolina. We can go down the names of all these other places, and it's been reduced down to a little neighborhood in one borough in New York. And by the way, you cannot compare what those folk are making in Queens to what they're making in Brooklyn or Manhattan. You can't compare the two. You can't compare them. That's all you can get. And they will sit here and tell you that that is proof that uh, everything's perfectly fine. You all start, you all try to build one building larger than six stories over there and watch them come get you. Watch them say, okay, you're doing too damn much. All of a sudden, in your so-called liberal New York, you're going to start seeing rules and regulations. So we can't zone that. No, we're not zoning that over there. Y'all doing too much. That's exactly what it'll be. Thank you very much for giving us a call tonight, brother. We appreciate that. Let me go ahead and see if I can get um, Jason Reels Network. You are up next. Go ahead and turn everything on and so we can get you down with the business. Jason Reels Network. All right, brother, what is on your mind? Hey, what's up, Jason? All right, brother. Yeah, we can hear you. We can see you. What's on your mind? Yeah, now, this whole space is cooling for a while. It's been cooling before you broke, broke the news. And, you know, it's just, it's just funny that nearly fully talked about this again. How you got some black people out here that think racism is somebody screaming the N-word out the back of some pickup truck. You know, then Jeremy Fuller stated that he rode the back of the bus for 30 years, and he's still alive, 93 years old. So I suggest all these people that say all these, even some of our FDAs are compromised. I've actually heard FDAs saying they don't see, there ain't no white supremacy. They just, when they describe racism, it's about some white person screaming some N-word in the army or some pickup truck. You know, that's exactly what, the, what, what that state lead attorney was talking about. You know, I have this problem with my identical twin brother. He doesn't see racism. He doesn't see mistreatment. Oh, man. But he's always talking about money problems. And I said, if you're talking to me about money problems, and how every time you try to get a leg up and things just don't stray in your way, I think that's racism. Mistreatment is racism. That's what Nelly Fuller um, um, code teaches the black community if they actually read the book. Any type of mistreatment towards black people are, is racism. And most of the mistreatment is systematic. And some people are so blind they can't even see it. That's the, that's the bad part. Well, you know, brother, let me let me let me correct that. There is no remember I've always taught you all. There is no one who doesn't see white supremacy and racism. There isn't a single person who doesn't see it. There are only two types of people: those who see it and fight it, and those who see it and go back to picking the cotton. Just that simple. They saw the same thing you said. And you said your brother's telling you about his money problems. Okay, then you talk about white supremacy and he wants to deflect. Yeah, because as Dr. Francis Cress Wilson taught us and others, that once you acknowledge white supremacy, you now must do something about it. The moment you accept the reality that that's the cause of the problem right there, well, then by definition, you must now say, well, what am I going to do about it? It's just like if a person is overweight 
He knows I got a thing for sweets. Oh, okay, there's too much sugar. Oh, what you gonna do about it with that Krispy Kreme in your hands? You gonna put it down? Well, I, I'm a, I, I just won't pick up the next one. Let me eat this one, but I'll pick up, I won't pick up the next one. So it's not, it's not that he doesn't see it. He does see it. It is just that okay. unlike you, he doesn't think the solution, he doesn't, he is not motivated to move on to the next part with the solution. He's frozen up. He understands what is incumbent on him we can possibly give you. All right, Kwame is stuck somewhere in a black site. I'm assuming it's either the city of Chicago or New Orleans or New York. If someone sees a fella hanging out the window talking about the business, the business, that might be him. It could possibly be him. It's possible. All right, let me go ahead and see if we can get Zach up here. As a matter of fact, what I'm going to do, I'm going to go ahead and crank up the phone lines here for Blog Talk in just a second. So everybody here who has not joined us on Blog Talk just yet, you will be able to join us there in just a minute. But remember, I give priority to Zoom. Priority gets, Zoom gets priority over everything else here. So make sure you are ready for that. Um, folks, if, you're, if you want to be on Zoom, you can do that. But you have to be on camera if you're on Zoom. That's why you get priority. So if you are not doing that, that's a different matter. So Zach, you have five seconds to correct that oversight or permanent vacation, Zach. So one or the other. There you go. What do you know? A little cooperation there. Hi, right, Zach. And what is on your mind, brother? Good evening. Um, yeah, I'm joining from the UK. And it was just to reiterate your point. So basically, a lot of UK black people are immigrants and they basically go along to get along or you do have some riders, but majority of them are immigrants. And um, yeah, they, Coon Richards is a perfect example of how majority of black people are. So they can see it, but they don't do anything about it because they just want to go along to get along. So um, yeah, unfortunately it's a problem but we do get some riders like myself who understand like racism and the position that we're in and we try and do the utmost to like battle against it, you know? Do you think so, the fact that he has a white girlfriend, a white wife, I guess this is a girlfriend, um, but I, I'm not sure which one it is, but do you think the fact he's got a white girlfriend plays a factor in his behavior? Yeah, that's a perfect example. He doesn't care because like he knows the situation he's in and that we're all in, yet you know, he just wants to, um, he's allowed to be with her or pick her, but why would you want to, you know? Like, there's, per there's loads of black other women you can choose from, but it's like, eh, I'm going to go along, get a white girlfriend and, yeah, dig my head in the sun sort of thing. So, I mean, there's just if he feels that the cost or the price of being with her is that he has to deny his own humanity, insult his own intelligence and self-respect, and deny the racism existence sitting in front of him, if that's the cost of being with this white woman, in my opinion, the cost is too damn high. There you go. And um, there's no integrity as far as I'm concerned. So, again, just have to keep it second and call people like him out. Well, brother, let me find out here. How widespread is the conversation over there about the fact that so many of them, they come from, usually come from, you know, the West Indies or Nigeria or Africa, and they, they come straight to the UK and they come with this bootlicking mindset. How much of a conversation is going on over there that we, these first generations and second generations have this common culture among them? Uh, there isn't much. This is the thing. Like, it's mainly the third generation, like myself, 
who are finally starting to um you know fight back or raise awareness with the first generation they obviously came here from like the wind rush they just got straight to work kept their head down the second generation they had a bit more freedom but they still you know went went along to get along and the third generation like myself noticed that something isn't right you know you know whether it would be the disgusting attitude from the police or getting hired from a job you know or just you know people like um, obviously the white people you know because myself i'm born here but i still don't feel i'm a black british man you know i don't feel like this is my home you know so yeah like i say definitely in my eyes that is just too damn high of a price to pay especially if that's what that's what it requires you to do and there needs to be a common conversation about this because that puts everybody in danger man and for those of you who, i have to remind people for those who don't know a lot of people assume that the legal systems work exactly the same or run parallel or at least the policy the public policy runs parallel in the u.s as it does in the uk and that's not actually true for those of you who are over there you know that right now they targeted the black immigrants for deportation over here in America, it's like a hands-off kind of thing for a lot of them. Over there, they're getting down to the business with your white Indian prime minister cracking the whip. I mean, that we we kick it off, not under what's named Boris beforehand. What's his name? Boris, Boris, Johnson. Boris Johnson. Not him. Not under him. We done brought in a, quote, person of color, who, of course, we know if you know your history, that's actually a canard. But he's the guy saying, yeah, round him up. Oh, I'm going to do the rounding up. Yeah, right here, right now. So folks don't know that there's a big movement of deportation going on right now, but it's specifically targeting the black ones. Everybody else exactly. is kind of being left alone. The black ones all getting loaded up on planes. He's actually trying to do the most. He's actually going above and beyond to like show his masters or people that I can do this job and you know I can fit in and it's crazy. And that's what I'm saying. Everybody who's trying to play this game and keep your head down and you know, let me go ahead and go. The, the motives are bad, man. The motives are bad. If you're going to leave from the West Indies, if you're going to leave from Africa and come to the U.S. and the U.K., you need to be coming on some empowerment. You don't need to be coming on skirt chasing. You don't need to be coming on clout chasing. You don't need to be coming on cooning and buffooning. You need to have your head on straight. Because then when these kind of things are happening, now they want to yell and scream and cry foul. It's like, dude, you haven't even... You were the same people sitting up here saying what well, no racism, white supremacy just yesterday. Now they're loading you up on the plane. Hey, this is racist. The time to be saying something was when you got here. It's crazy. I'll let you have a last word. Yeah, again, uh, I appreciate your work and keep on flying the flag. And um, yeah, the still riders out here, so don't give up on this. Thank you very much for checking in with us, brother. We appreciate that as always. Definitely stay safe. Um, like I say, folks, it's, it's, it's something for you to keep in mind. We got to have a conversation here about these folks in all these places out there. That our, our immigrant class is always quiet about white supremacy. It's always okay. It's just, well, you know, they're just ignorant. It's, what in the hell? What the hell do they have to do to get you to accept it? And to actually acknowledge the damn obvious. Let me go ahead and go back to Zoom here. I got uh, my man, Kid Gravity. Welcome back to the program, brother. What's on your mind? How you doing, brother? Um... I understand now why you guys are talking about delineation because if this does not wake up the immigrant class, I don't know what it's going to take because you had someone like Prince Schilling sit there and have 100% revenue. He gave it up to a white woman for maybe 10 to 15% and getting less views. I don't, that, to you, 
Brother, you've done business. How bad is that deal? Well, here's the thing. It would depend on how much it is. And it depends on what they're doing. Now, if she's fronting all the money, fronting all the equipment and everything, and you basically just step into it, well, that could be a come up for you. However, if it's your equipment, your channel, and she's just doing, well, I don't know what the hell she's just doing. It would have to be very impressive. Here's the problem. I've been to the dude's channel. I've been to his channel. He's got 70,000 subscribers. I, I just blew past him. Let's be very clear. He's had Pearl behind him, allegedly behind him all this time. I just blew past him. So if she was really doing great and wonderful things for him, as a matter of fact, some of y'all ain't going to like it, but I'll go ahead and show you. By the way, let me go ahead and pop it up on the screen so you all can see. Um, 15%, whatever she's probably giving him, who knows? Hey, this is what it gets for you. Three days ago, 12,000 views. Five days ago, 11,000 views. Six days ago, 11,000 views. Folks, I have that. I got that already tonight. Whoa, probably twice that when you aggregate it. 10 days ago, 10,000 views. This is your 15%. He's getting 15% of this. He's getting 15% of. So, this is what her quote, help, has done. Oh, take a look at this right here. We finally got one that's got some decent views to it. Uh, oh, oh, O'Shea Duke Jackson. So, oh, well. Oh, I'm sorry. Right. So you got to put That's O'Shea the, in oh, there. Well, you could have oh, did that without her. Mediocre tutorials. So you got to talk about him to get 40,000 views. Cardi B. Okay, but what about yourself? When he's the only topic, he gets mm -hmm. 10,000 views after 10 days. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is that's what her, quote, help has done to all the clowns and idiots out there talking as if this woman is balling out of control. And this is why I've tried to teach you all, hey, don't get fooled and bamboozled by supposed subscriber counts. Count them view counts and show me if it's getting you anything. So he's sitting up here with her putting a battery in his back. He's bootlicking and buck dancing, cooning and buffooning, clowning and clowning. And all he can get is 10,000 views. And she's going to chip him off 10, 20 percent of 10,000 views. Brother, he'd have been better off getting a job at what y'all call it, Tesco. Oh, then you get the Sainsbury's. Yeah, he'd have been, he's been better off getting a janitorial job over there. He'd literally been making more money. Yeah, but you also got to look at his his videos because they also chopped that up because she said she'll give him the studio, the editing, the camera, the lighting, but then tells him to take the live video and chop it up ten to twelve times like Roland does, and you're only getting like three or four digit views on that. Yeah, that's the thing right there. All these folks who don't understand, they think that somehow she's flooding the zone with content. That doesn't do anything. That doesn't raise. I'm showing y'all what the views are doing. Lead attorney, 286,000 subscribers and only 10,000 views. Meanwhile, over here, I got 75,000 subscribers and get 100,000 views. Do you think those are bought? I'm leery to cast aspersions. I will say this because I, I don't want to talk about anything I can't prove. Right. I will say this though. If you really, if the audience really were rocking with you, I don't think they would sign up and subscribe one week and then tune out the very next. If this is legitimately building a genuine subscriber base, how is it they signed up, they're signing up to subscribe and yet the views aren't happening? If the subscriber count is increasing, those views should be pro at least proportionally increasing. Right. Even if you can only pull 
30% of your subscriber base to watch on a regular basis. I get far more than that. But the typical YouTuber can get 10 to 20%. Okay, but if I'm seeing your view counts coming in, as your subscriber count goes up, that view count should be proportionally going up. So at best, you're not able to retain your audience's attention. At worst, yeah, there may be some, buy some bot buying going on. And YouTube will allow it if you're somebody they want to boost. Well, yeah, if it drowns out someone that they see is troublesome. YouTube doesn't like my program because I tell you all, don't be consumers. I tell you how to counter these things. I tell you how to challenge it. I tell you how to compete against it. They don't want that. They just want me to bring people here and sell you to, to deliver an audience. Hey, come on back next week, even if it rots your brain and destroys your life. So that's cool with them. Valuetainment, well, he can do a little bit of something different because they know, wait, wait, he's on the team. But as far as are they legitimate, brother, I can't tell you that they aren't. But what I am going to say is if they are real, it ain't worth a damn. So if they're not yeah. fake, they might as well be bought. They're doing you just as much good. If you didn't buy them, you might as well have. It's uh, it's tough on these YouTube streets, but again, thank you for highlighting this because most people won't go down those rabbit holes. Well, remember, it took all, all your bigger YouTubers sat around for weeks, didn't say nothing. They're just now saying something. That tells you just how much of a third rail and a lightning rod this is. They didn't say anything about it. That's the look of genuine fear. And that's something that we should all keep in mind because that's dangerous. Thank you very much for giving us a call tonight. We appreciate that. Let me see if I can get uh, Joseph here on Zoom. Joseph, go ahead and pay some attention. Go ahead and turn on everything for us here, Joseph, and you will be up next. So be there or be square. All right, Joseph, there you are. And what's on your mind, brother? Turn your mic on, Joseph. Joseph, turn your mic on, brother. You already low res as hell. Unmute yourself, brother. It's a mic, little microphone icon at the bottom. Yeah, I just saw it. There he goes. All right, y'all. He's on his Zimbabwe broadband. All right, Joseph. Where, <laughs> where are you calling us from, Joseph? Uh, I'm calling you from South Africa. But I just want to highlight something. Uh, your show is great, uh, brother uh, Jason. Uh, but I think these Im uh, immigrants are mostly hiding behind uh, when you're saying immigrants. So I, I, I would have loved it if you had identified them as individuals. Because we have, like you said, uh, we have a lot of brothers here yeah, in Africa, a lot of brothers in the UK and other places that do uh, uh, go with the struggle. But uh, a lot of these ones, they will go like, um, they will do things like, uh, they will say things out of the ordinary, hoping that they can just bend in with the rest of the team. He ain't never been on Well, here's the problem, brother. They, they unfortunately, they represent those who are non-foundationals in America or in, in Britain. They represent them. Everybody who doesn't come from our background, the one, the newcomers to America, the newcomers to Britain, they do represent the majority from Africa, from the West Indies, from the Caribbean. They do represent the brother. The Julius, the Julius, and I am sad to say because I have seen the South African Parliament. Julius Malema is an outlier. Julius Malema is not the rule. He's been marched out of the damn place himself. He's not the rule. He's the exception. Well, 
that is how you you mean the uh, legislative entertainment industry or the news industry in America are portrayed. There's a lot of brothers here in Africa who are doing their own stuff. They're not going to portray them in TV. Right, brother. You're, you're, you're correct. You're correct about saying quote a lot. Yes, you're right about a lot. But a lot is not a mathematical figure. No, I'm not saying that you must excuse them. I'm saying identify them as individuals. So right. What I'm saying is that they they represent the majority, unfortunately. They yeah, represent they represent the majority, brother. It's not, what what you're saying sounds good, but the bottom line is it doesn't represent the majority. It doesn't. Everybody's looking to buy out and sell out, and it's it's it, under the days of Winnie Mandela, it was different. It was a little bit different back then, but we've watched as it's it's been degrading the whole time. We've been watching while it's been degrading. It's not a great thing. So, I mean, I just got to be honest about it. I got to call it as it is now. When I see that, because here's the thing, I'm not telling you about what I see in South Africa. I'm telling you about what I see get off the plane and off the boat over here. I'm telling you about what we encounter here. So I, I can't speak for what's happening on the South African street necessarily, but what I will say is it doesn't represent the it doesn't represent the majority that is getting around. It doesn't represent them. That's not just South Africa. You see the same thing everywhere. You see the same thing everywhere. Kenya, Ethiopia, Rwanda, Nigeria, Sudan. Go down the list. I mean, this is a full-blown pandemic. It is. Because here's the problem, brother. Where's the code of conduct? Like, where is the black code of conduct in South Africa today? And that is my point, uh, sir. I'm thinking that uh, for us to organize and uh, to be able to reach other continents, it's going to be difficult from grassroots level. All I'm just saying is that when you do uh, say that immigrants are bad and things like that, I'm not saying that it's wrong. Well, I'm not saying, well, let me, let me, a little, let, let, me look, let me clarify that. I've never said that immigrants, quote, are bad. You make sure we don't let that get ten. I understand what you mean. I understand, but I'm just saying. Let me make sure I'm clear about that. I want to get ten miles down the road. I don't have an issue with that as long as they are not anti-foundational. As long as they are not back in the white supremacist agenda. I am not anti-immigrant. I'm anti-white supremacist. And if I see that the immigrant population is being weaponized into a buffer class that is specifically being given a mission to target us and to dilute what we're doing, that's a problem. It's not just a problem for us, it's a problem for you. Because we, black people in America, set the tone for black people around the world. When we make strides, when we make progress, everybody comes up. The problem that we have today is unfortunately the dominant society realizes this, so what they've been doing is empowering individuals who don't do the operate the same way. They out for themselves. And then now they get, there's enough of them they get together in whole groups and classes now. You got whole neighborhoods and whole boroughs now. It's no longer a minor infection. You can't treat it like that. This is not a little thing anymore. This, the, the, the disease is metastasized. And I, well, and since my point, you understand it as well, there's no really. So I'm going to stay in those ways. No, I'm, I, I am down with everybody who is down with us, and I understand what you're saying. I just don't want you to minimize what you're seeing there. 
Yeah, we got riders here. We got riders everywhere. We got riders all over the place. That That's never lost on me. But I don't want us to mischaracterize the struggle that we're in or to mischaracterize what the situation truly is. When we get to a point where those of your mindset occupy the majority, we gonna know. That's not gonna be something we need to be told, newsflash or anything. Brother, when y'all start running things, we're gonna know. Hell, when you all comprise the majority of the code, when South Africa has your code of conduct, we'll know. Just like you all knew to follow our lead, when we see y'all rocking it the way we are, when we see that's taking root and that's what's running things, we'll know. Believe me, we will know. Real recognizes real. But in the meantime, I want to thank you for joining us, brother. Thank you very much for checking in with us here. Like I said, I don't want to overstate it, but I don't want to understate it either. Let me go ahead and get a couple of phone calls here off of Blog Talk. Let me get caller from area code 410. You're on live with the business. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, this is Dion from, uh, from Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, what's the name again? It's Dion from Atlanta, Georgia. All right, Dion from Atlanta, and what's on your mind? Hey, uh, I had to call in on this one because um, I had actually, I sent a super chat earlier, but I'm actually married to a librarian woman, and the attitude that you've been calling out is exactly what the majority of um, her family members who have initially come over here, they definitely have that. Like they come over with that happy, you know, they get along, and they kind of think that um, if they just keep their head down and if they work hard, that they don't rock the boat, that the racism is going to totally fly over them, and then it's going to come to us. And then it's not until they get their real nigga wake up call. And then that's when, you know, they want to get on that pan-Africanism and on that pro-black tip and everything. And it just, it just kills me because, and I'm especially upset at the parents, because when the parents do that, they don't prepare their children for that, um, for the real world, you know, racism, you know, that they want to face. And then it's up to the rest of us to try to get them on code and we're able to do that, you know, in part, but it's severely against their growth, and it just, it just sickens me, and it just upsets me to see that, you know, on a firsthand basis with some of my in-laws, unfortunately. Oh yeah, but I mean, it does let you know this is real. I mean, they're, they're not brought over for nothing. The State Department yeah. knows who they are allowing in here. Remember, the State Department knows who the terrorists are overseas. That if you're walking down the streets of Afghanistan, the U.S. State Department, the CIA and the FBI know who you are. They know who you are. That's Correct. what you get here in America. They know every damn gang member in America. There are no secrets from these people. They can monitor everything. Yeah. They watch everything. So if you were able to make it over here, they know who you are. But more importantly, they know who you were. Let me say it again. If you made it over here, they know who you are. But more importantly, they know who you were. They know who you were, where you came from. They know if you got police record. They know if you were committing crimes. They know if you were a pedophile. They know if you were a gang member. They know if you were a seditionist. 
They know if you were anti-capitalism. They know if you were anti-America. They know all of this before you ever come over here. You can't get here without them knowing that. You can't. If you do make it, you ain't going to stay. If you're truly a problem, they're going to come get you. So if they made it, oh, what we are finding out is after all these decades, this has been part of a conscious, orchestrated effort. They're looking for a certain individual, certain type of people with a certain mindset and a certain set of philosophies that run concurrent to white supremacy. Or as I've been saying during tonight's program, that these are people that when they see white supremacy, they don't fight it. That's all they really want. They don't give a damn if you recognize it or don't. They don't give a damn if you acknowledge it or don't. Just so long as you're not actually going to do anything about it. Now, people who are going to do something about white supremacy, brother, our paperwork is known worldwide. If you are a black person and you are prone to fighting white supremacy, your paperwork is known worldwide. They know who you are. You can't get on a plane or, or sneak away and stow away on a boat. They know when you show up, there he is. There he is. Ask Asana Shakur and uh, Stokely Carmichael, all your revolution, H. Rap Brown, all your revolutionaries. You ask them, there wasn't no place they could hide. This was before the internet, people. Before the internet, they knew where they were. They didn't need social media or cell phones to track them down. This was back then. So if you show up anywhere, they know where you are. If you're a troublemaker anywhere, they know who you are and where you are. And if they haven't moved on you, it's either because they don't want to move on you or they go, they've already moved on you. I'll let you all figure that one out. I'll let you have the last word. Yeah, and just to, just to highlight on that just real quick, like I, I know my stepfather-in-law in particular, he was a part of that, um, what they call it, the Americo, a Liberian class open there. So he was already down, you know, living there, a uh, white supremacy and everything. That's kind of how he got over here. And then just the very last point, when you talked about they don't rise up until their benefits get cut off, I know uh, with Trump, uh, when he changed their status from still being uh, recognized as, as, as uh, refugees until uh, getting rid of that and trying to get the illegal ones out of here, that's when they wanted to rise up and they wanted to have, you know, everybody else try to advocate on their behalf and, um, and keep them over here. And so like you said earlier, I'm down with who's down, you know, with us and my wife, you know, thankfully, you know, she's down with us, you know, all day, but, you know, everybody else who's on that coon train with that coon talk, they can, whatever happens to them, you know, happens to them. I'll be my first brother. Just don't let them be close to you when it does. Thank you very much for giving us a call. Let me get called Miracle 928. You're on live with the business. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, hey, Justin. This is James. Uh, this is James. I'm calling from Arizona. James, from where at in Arizona? Phoenix. James, from Phoenix, what's on your mind? Um, yeah, first things first. Uh, in regards to uh, what, what just early things, I know we're talking about black immigrants, but I just wanted to... Uh, just point out that you're wrong, that Dr. Claude Anderson actually pointed out and clearly stated that um, Black people are better off post-integration than when they are right now and provided data and actual stats that verify why Black people are much better off 
Okay, sir. Actually, sir, you're wrong. I, I've, I've interviewed Dr. Clark. Sir, we're not going to argue about that. Yeah. Sir, we're not going to argue about that. You're just wrong. Dr. Claude Anderson has, in my documentary, 7 a.m., sir, Dr. Claude Anderson literally says, quote, since 1864, Black people have gone nowhere in proportional comparative terms. We are exactly where we were in 1868. Now, the documentary I did, he begins by saying that, and that's part of his stump speech. He's been saying it for 40 years, that in proportional comparative terms, we were less than 1% of the country's wealth in 1868, we're less than 1% of the country's wealth today, that the only progress that we have made is quote unquote socially, but that we have not actually moved anywhere socioeconomically. We've been frozen, which is his entire point is that the nation's wealth has been frozen. Now that's literally what he said. So if you thought you heard something else, sir, no, you're wrong, period. Um, By the way, is this guy sitting here giggling on my phone like that dog? All right, let me go ahead and let him go. He's not with this snurgly. Was that the name of that dog? <laughs> Who's raising these damn mama's boys today? All right, let me go ahead and get my man features. You're back on the microphone here, brother. What's on your mind? How you doing, bro? All right, brother. What's on your mind? Yeah, so it took me clear to air first because uh, last time I was on, people were asking about my accent. I'm Canadian, right? So and I went oh, right you, you, again you were down the street from Abba and Preach, I imagine. I literally down the street, actually. Yeah, I, mean, I imagine. Okay, <laughs> we, we got out of everybody. We got, you seem okay, but it's, I don't know. They might have the same Uber Eats driver. So just in case, we got our eyes open. Not very far from them at all, right? So uh, the thing with... Uh, Buffer classes, as, as you call them, and particularly in in Canada, and Canada, like Canada, is open to immigration, right? So Canada, they, they kind of want immigrants. However, if you look at Abba and Preach, Abba is uh, from Ethiopia, he's East African, and Preach is Haitian, okay. And if you look at their backgrounds, right? If you look at the Haitian uh, uh, experience and how America and France basically buffed them up into oblivion and they're st suffering from their slave rebellion up until this very day when they come and they say they mention these type of things and they say oh you know uh uh this probably thinks this isn't racist just ignorant ignorance is racism first of all right ignorance is racism and second of all what you're doing family and fellow soldiers i'm the professor and this is the moment of truth. Mr. Speaker, I want to welcome the people back to the people's house. I want to I want to welcome democracy back to the people's house. That on last Thursday, members of this body tried to crucify democracy, but today we stand as a witness of a resurrection of a movement of a multiracial democracy that no unjust decision will stand. So much deception, so much deception. Now, you need to be honest with yourself about when something is grassroots or astroturf. It can save your life. 
For 15 years now, we in the black media have taught you that when you see the white media talking about a black person and they're not attacking them, when you see the white media heaping tons of praise on some Negro you never heard of and who you don't know, that's because they're trying to invent a new front man to mislead you and me. This is what happened with D. Ray McKesson, you'll recall. This guy, who might as well have dropped down from Mars, was suddenly on TV, on CNN, no less. The white media suddenly giving him a platform. He's on talk shows in university campuses. All of this instant credibility, trying to credentialize this guy. And why? They were trying to make him a thing. He didn't just pop up out of nowhere. He was selected by white power as their latest trial balloon to see if they can get some traction and establish himself as a leader among black people. And that brings us back to the most recent developments out of Tennessee. Talking about the so-called Tennessee Three, the white media is still calling them that. Now, the white woman wasn't expelled, so why is it still three? So as far as I'm concerned, they're the Tennessee Two, one of which has already been reinstated, by the way. So that long winter of injustice apparently came to an end pretty quick, right? At least to hear Justin Jones tell the story. You can expect the white media to go overboard trying to make false comparisons between these guys and Dr. King. Not because the white media loves these two, the white media could care less about them, but because they want you to like them. They want you to look up to them. They want you to make a false association in your mind between these two and Dr. King. But something that I've noticed over the weekend as the white media was going breathless about this story, those white female activists who MSNBC had on your nonstop, they didn't have a word of gratitude for these two so-called political martyrs. Oh no, it seemed these white female activists, they were not grateful at all for these two young black men standing in solidarity with them and quote unquote, sacrificing their political careers for them. Your thoughts on these two lawmakers being expelled for protesting gun violence, what does this say to you about democracy in your state? I think it says something that we've known for a long time, which is that the lawmakers are scared of the power of the youth vote. So these people have shown up and stood with us and are being punished for standing with these youth voices. And not only did we organize last week, we've had almost 11 days of continuous action at the Capitol. And we actually sat in for 12 hours during their expulsion because these lawmakers have tried to silence us so thoroughly, and we won't stand for that. All these two white female activists cared about was their issue. Race didn't even come out of their mouths. They didn't care about that at all. It was all about what they wanted and how they weren't being heard and how important their interests are. This is using black people as crash dummies. Not those two legislators, they were merely political actors playing their parts. I'm talking about the black public who's being manipulated into supporting what's going on there without actually paying attention to what they're supporting. Make no mistake, these white female protesters that you saw, they're going to be the real winners when all of this is over. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them move on to bigger and better things, courtesy of the DNC. There's also another thing you better look out for. The white media makes it their mission to try to choose our leaders for us. They get some bought paid for shill sellout, some clown who shares their values and is pushing their agenda. And then they put them on TV and say that they're a black leader. Malcolm X warned us about this. He talked about this all the way back in the 60s, how the white media would invent black leaders out of whole cloth. They've been trying and failing for going on 10 years now to counter the growing influence of the new voices of black media. The white media has been trying to raise up their own bumper crop of hand-picked puppets who they would try to use to co-opt the movement that we represent. People you never heard of. And when you ask what issues they're representing, they talk about gender fluidity, feminism, and trans rights.
None of those things have anything to do with black people's issues. George Floyd wasn't heinously murdered because of feminism, gender anything, or trans rights. He was murdered only because he was black. And the same goes for Eric Garner, Trayvon Martin, Sandra Bland, Oscar Grant, Breonna Taylor, Philandro Castile, and I'll be here till three in the morning naming just a few of them. The white democratic establishment talking points that these black mouthpieces keep pushing are irrelevant to the oppression that we face because ours is based on race, not what we do in the bedroom. So why do these alleged black speakers never speak on what actually affects black people? Because the goal is to make sure there is never a discussion that is centered on black people because whatever the discussion is, it changes things. Yes, the expulsion of those two representatives was based on race, that's true. But the individuals who got expelled were talking about patriarchy and trans rights and that empty class struggle talk. Didn't that strike you as just a little bit strange? You have these two previously unknown individuals who take part in disrupting the state legislative session over they claimed gun control. And they say in passing they were expelled because of their race. But when they get a chance to speak in public on camera in the white media, they talk about everything except race. This is meant to craft a message that makes it where the listener can project onto them whatever you want. If you're black, you're encouraged to project onto them that this is about race. But if you're, say, a white suburban woman, you can go ahead and project onto them that this is about gun control, patriarchy, feminism, and trans rights. That's what 90% of what they said was about. They were doing everything they could to give this mandy pandy empty, innocuous look. What they were not saying very much at all. This little incident down in Tennessee looks exactly like what it is. Democratic get out the vote effort. This was their youth outreach program for the 2024 season. Well, Justin Jones was reinstated yesterday, and he says now that democracy has been returned to the state house. I want to welcome democracy back to the people's house. Well, I'll tell Justin Jones the same thing that I told his colleague, Heidi Campbell, last week when she said that democracy died in Tennessee that day. Tell me, Justin Jones, when has there ever been democracy in Tennessee? Was everything fine up until last week? No problems with democracy in Tennessee until last week, huh? How can you say democracy has returned to Tennessee's state legislature when it was never there to begin with and still isn't there now? Apparently, Justin Jones seems to think that democracy means his job. Sounds like Barack Obama, don't it? Sounds like every black GOP mouthpiece you ever heard, doesn't it? The white media is pulling a deception. They distract you by pointing to the overtly racist white legislators in Tennessee and then to the color of the representatives who they expelled without ever actually looking at what those representatives were taking a stand for. They weren't taking a stand for anything relating to black people being killed by the thugs in blue. The very tragedy that allegedly prompted their protest last week wasn't even because black people had been slaughtered in mass. One black man had been killed, but mostly it happened to be about white students at a private school and their teachers. And that's why the white media was able to get behind it. These have been black people who had been killed, like say in Buffalo. These guys could have set fire to the state legislature. The white media would have been saying, well, they should have been expelled. They could have been disrupted and that wouldn't have mattered. The white media would have moved on to something else. See, when the Democrats' other constituents are being threatened or mistreated by GOP policy or what have you, the Democrats actually do something about that. States want to ban abortion? Democrats organize statewide referendums to defeat those efforts. Clarence Thomas hints that reversing gay marriage is on his agenda. The Democrats didn't wait to see if the conservative court was going to do it. They took preemptive action and passed a gay marriage law. 
and they claim that they were doing it for black people too. Have you ever seen the Democrats piggyback legislation to benefit black people on the back of some other essential legislation? They don't do that for us. All we hear is there's nothing they can do on anything, but we better vote for them because of all the things they've done. White supremacy is the law of the land. and That law is not based on sexism, homophobia, or anti-gender fluidity. Look at the Constitution of the United States, and you won't find a single word about feminism, homosexuality, or trans anything, though you will find that black people are declared three-fifths human beings. You will find that in the Constitution. So as you can tell by the visuals on your screen, I give that as a preface to the fact that you can judge people by the company they keep. Whenever something is presented to you by the white media, you're supposed to be suspicious. The white media has been a nonstop tool of anti-black propaganda for hundreds of years now, and the white media is quite sophisticated. I know there's some hard heads out there who like to deny it because it makes them feel better, but you can't change reality by denying reality. You have to face it. And in the real world, the white media is very crafty and very clever with their propaganda. They have to be. They specialize in giving instant credibility to their tools. Those two Tennessee legislators weren't making my heart go pitter pat because I actually listened to what they said. They sounded like every DNC liberal I'd ever heard. They talked about LGBT rights and patriarchy and class division, but nothing about black people. They only gave fleeting, insincere lip service to white supremacy, but that was about it. Most of their support came from white women that I saw. That's who I saw as the majority of the protesters marching in the streets and who had also disrupted the Tennessee legislature. That's who I saw. And Jones and Pearson made it a point to speak to their issues. And to camouflage that, the white media spent a lot of time talking about when these guys are black. Normally, wouldn't the white media be saying that there are allegations that this was racial? Isn't that what the white media normally does whenever you have a black person who's saying that they've been discriminated against because of race? Wouldn't the white media normally be saying, well, there's accusations and allegations and, well, we can't be sure. We can't know what's in the legislators' hearts. Why? How much do we know about the Tennessee legislature? Normally, they would be putting nothing but question marks on all of this. They wouldn't be making any definitive declaratory statements, but they were in this case. So what does that tell you? The goal here is to forward this bit of political theater to get you to think that you should follow these two. But as the black media, we've always taught you to never let the white media tell you who to follow. And if they're endorsing someone, that's your first clue that there's nothing good in it for you. If these guys actually were a threat to white supremacy, if they actually were about forward and promoting anything of benefit to black people, the white media would either be ignoring them or attacking them. Now, when I saw those two using that bullhorn, you know what it reminded me of? Al Sharpton back in the day. He became famous for running around with a bullhorn shouting about this and that. And now he's on NBC squawking about nothing. So for the last few days, we've been seeing what is clearly a political operation by the DNC going on here. You had two legislators in Tennessee who took part in a protest inside the legislative chamber and one white member who kind of just stood there. And the local Klansmen got their pointy heads bent out of joint and predictably did some overreaction because everybody knows the GOP today is all about performative extremism. It was very easy to game this one out and predict what the good old boys in Tennessee would do. They've been following DeSantis' example of trying to be as overtly fascist as possible. So when someone opposes them, you can take out your watch and count the seconds before they try to retaliate through the legislature with some over-the-top display of aggression and angst because that's what they do. Going nuclear is the standard operating procedure for the GOP today.
Soon as I heard that these two could be reinstated by their respective city councils, I knew that this was all just theater. And when I heard what all they were saying, I understood that they were irrelevant to black empowerment. As the black media, we teach you to judge people by the company they keep. When some new face is introduced to you by the white media, they're immediately suspect. Consider the source. And another thing you're supposed to do is to check people's paperwork. Brother Tariq did an excellent background check on Justin Jones just the other night, and over the weekend, more of Jones and Pearson's paperwork has come back dirty. Kamala Harris is literally being embraced by these two, and we're also seeing other people who no legitimate figure of black empowerment would be caught dead with. Every so often, the white media treats us to, uh, rather subjects us to, another sighting of Big Bird. Now, for those of you who don't know, from time to time, you've probably heard me refer to an unnamed person as Big Bird. That person is Mark Thompson. He's supposed to be the leader of a group calling itself Cobra, an alleged reparations group that hasn't done a dang thing to get us reparations. The reason I call him Big Bird is because he went on Joke Reed's show years back, and he was wearing this big yellow outfit. Looked like he was wearing his mama's kitchen tablecloth. And that was the interview where he began babbling about some do-nothing function that his organization had held, and they had had some sort of vote at their so-called luncheon. Now, like a lot of you, I've noticed over the decades that whenever these black baby boomers get on TV, I'm talking about these civil rights retreads in specific, they always talk about some prayer breakfast they had, or some luncheon, or some dinner, or whatever, and whenever they have one of these meals, they would claim that they had some sort of vote. I guess that's what was making it seem that they were doing something important there. I've heard this kind of spiel from these clowns whenever they were on TV or radio, and I'm sure most of you can recall these dinosaurs telling some sort of similar tale, because this is about the only accomplishment they can talk about. To them, this is getting something done. That's supposed to be a win in their eyes, or rather they want you to think that it is. Gee, let's go down to the Western Sizzling then, and we'll go ahead and ask some people, yay or nay, who's in favor of reparations? Well, the people who aren't stuffing their faces with barbecue, they'll probably lift up a hand that's caked in barbecue sauce and say, me? Well, then, okay, after you take your vote, then what happens? Uh, we go back to eating. I guess giving away a free lunch is the only way that these dusty, musty, shipless, good-for-nothings can get people to show up for anything. So for the few people who are probably wondering where phrases like Big Bird and my references to the NAACP Spring Breakfast and the Urban League Summer Luncheon and the National Action League Fall Fish Fry came from, now you know. And as if to make it any clear that this was all just some political astroturf operation, Big Bird was there front and center. He was right with them when those two were expelled last week. And promptly, Joy Reid had him on her little side show, where naturally he tried to make it all about himself. And then on cue, he went right back out there in Nashville yesterday when Jones was reinstated by the National City Council. You know, I couldn't help but think of Gil Scott Heron's classic, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. He said it 50 years ago, and it's still true today. There will be no fixing with the young big one out of bottom on the rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still life of Joy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he had been saving for just the proper occasion. There will be no pictures of Al Sharpton being went out of Harlem on a rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still life with Mark Thompson strolling through Nashville in a red, black, and green tablecloth that he's been saving for just the proper occasion. See, they had Negro puppets of white power putting on political theater back then, too. 
The lyrics are still relevant because our condition hasn't changed and the con men who white power uses to confuse our internal politics hasn't changed either. I mean, for God's sake, the presence of Big Bird was the biggest giveaway in all this. This guy pals around with the likes of Kamala Harris. And when he interviewed her before the 2020 election, he refused to press her on reparations at all. This was after she had said that she wasn't going to do anything that only benefited black people. He sees himself as nothing more than a socialite. We don't need sellout shills for the DNC calling themselves speaking for us. Now, do you think this guy is somehow out here to help us? Only one he's trying to help is himself. Same as Pearson and Jones, and you need to hear that. This was a very sophisticated bit of political theater that got put on. It wasn't sophisticated in its form, but it was definitely sophisticated in its intent. Have their shows go into a den of vipers like the Tennessee Clavern, uh, I mean legislature, which we can all agree is a racist sewer. Have them then be intentionally disruptive and then wait for the unreasonable racist to predictably do something unreasonably racist. It ain't rocket science, folks, especially not in this political climate. The enemy of my enemy ain't necessarily my friend. When the white supremacists from the U.S. were fighting the white supremacists in Germany in the Second World War, which one of them was our friend? See how that works? A lot of people got suckered into supporting those shows because of what the white media was saying about them. And when it comes to people like Big Bird, there have been others who really ought to know better who decided they were going to speak up for him. No less than the final call was out there four years ago, back when the A-Dunce movement was in its death throes. Its 15 minutes of fame were up. But Big Bird had gone on Joe Reed's show and saying anyone who demands reparations but only holds Democrats accountable aren't genuine representatives of the movement. First of all, nobody's talking about only holding Democrats accountable. Republicans have made it clear they don't want the black vote. So that being the case, if the Democrats are going to purport to be the black people's only option, we have a right to demand something of that option. In the beginning of this piece, the final calls writer wrote that those who have been engaged in reparations on the ground at the grassroots level, they were talking about Big Bird, have been increasingly skeptical of blah, blah, blah. Square jaw and mushmouth were the ones being mentioned, but they were not the ones who Big Bird was taking aim at when he went on Joe Reed's show. Now, before I go any further, I need to say this. I'm well aware that the people who listen to me come from a variety of different backgrounds. Some of you are political, some of you are in finance, but a lot of you come from a religious background of some sort or another, be it Baptist, Hebrew, Israelite, Muslim, what have you. We all come from somewhere different, but it's our understanding of the racial reality we live in that's supposed to bind us, and that's supposed to cross all economic, political, lifestyle, and religious lines. The core identity of black empowerment and the code of conduct it represents are supposed to be the tie that binds us together. That's what brought you here and keeps you here. That's why you listen to voices like mine. That's why I don't run around pushing any sort of political party or religious affiliation either. Let's all agree that the foundation of our interactions with one another is supposed to be based on the essential philosophy of be one. If your religion is important to you, fine. But it better not blind you to the fact that this world isn't governed by whatever good book you read. If it was, you wouldn't be oppressed. And many of the people who oppress you use the same book that you do and claim to pray to the same God. And then they turn right around and attack and even kill you. Not based on your religion, but based on the color of your skin. And the saddest part is that whether the attack comes from a religious, economic, or political source, you always got a number of black people who have been helping the enemy carry out the attacks. 
I want you to keep that in mind before you go having a knee-jerk reaction over what I'm going to say next. Now, this article from The Final Call starts off by talking about people being sensitive and squirming, quote, at the slightest hint of feeling disrespected in any way. This is how The Final Call characterizes people who take issue with these professional do-nothing like Big Bird. Swarming is a word to describe the behavior of insects. The Nation of Islam's members, especially its leaders and those who handle its communications, don't make comparisons like that lightly. Remember, a core tenet of the Nation of Islam is that they don't use profanity. So when they compare someone to an insect or an animal, that has a lot more gravity and importance than someone who's used to using four and five letter words as their ultimate form of disrespect. I want those of you who are Muslims to keep in mind that Khalid Muhammad was demanding reparations a lot more than more visible members of the nation had. I know a lot of you who listen to me are practicing Muslims, and I don't call into question your integrity, but you better understand that when a publication is promoting and defending a man who's done nothing for us, that tells you a lot. Because without any sort of examination or criticism, they just mindlessly repeat Big Bird's claim that anyone who puts pressure on the Democrats about reparations aren't genuine representatives of the movement. Now, this guy doesn't criticize the Democrats for doing nothing to get us our reparations. Big Bird has no criticism for the Democrats for that or for anything. He's just a Democratic Party cheerleader. He just wants black people to vote for nothing. He's not about black empowerment. He's not about black people being heard. He's about being a phony, dashiki-wearing, black radical cosplayer, because that's what he is. He wears some colorful outfit and then tells us not to put pressure on anyone for our reparations or for really anything that we want. So when does Big Bird think we ought to withhold our vote then? When does he think we ought to leverage our vote to get what we need? Because a vote is the only leverage that the impoverished have. That is, other than physical means. It's the only way we can deprive the would-be political class of the positions of power that they crave. But he says, don't use it. This is who's been calling themselves speaking for you and me for generations now. And you wonder why it is the white media puts these guys on the air. Because what they say is conducive and expedient to the interests of white supremacy. And look who it is who's taking his side. We have these groups who have done absolutely nothing for reparations. They've been around for decades and decades, if not a century. And they haven't even made reparations into a topic of conversation for even one election cycle. Groups like the Nation of Islam and NCOBRA claim to be the grassroots. Well, what's grown from these grassroots in the last hundred years? What has the nation done with all its money and organization to move the needle for reparations? There was a march in Washington 25 years ago, and that was followed by, and as for NCOBRA, what have they done for reparations in the last 30 or 40 years, or however many years they claim to have been around? Big Bird said that they were the oldest reparations organization in America. Okay, and after all these decades, what do they have to show for it? They've got a spring breakfast, a summer luncheon, a fall fish fry, and a fireside chat with Kamala Harris. That's it. And if there's anyone who's feeling some kind of way about me expressing that, then what you're really saying is don't demand anything of the Democrats and don't also ask anything of the people who are defending inaction in the face of all of this political benign neglect. When the final call chooses to endorse this guy and defend him and give him a platform and disparage criticism of him, that tells me a lot about the final call. Now, this may not necessarily represent the end-all and be-all of that particular publication, but my question is, why was it there at all? And before I forget, here's a picture of Joy Reid, Simone Sanders, and Big Bird at some convention. 
for a bunch of leftists and such sit around talking about nothing. Shells of a feather fail together. Big Bird plays the game of getting on the white media's TV channels because that's how he eats, no pun intended. All of this was the white media's latest effort to prop up some hand-pitched shills who we're supposed to get behind and they're going to speak for us and their message will be nothing about reparations, nothing about black people. Instead, it's going to be all about the interest of every other constituency except us. So once again, family, we have to remember the rules. If somebody pops up out of nowhere and here they are talking kind of like us, if you don't know them, don't trust them. If the white media is praising this person, that's because they're on the take. And always check their paperwork. We don't let the white media manipulate us with sound and images. This isn't the 60s. We're not starved for images of black people leading crowds of protesters. What we are starved for is the monetary wealth that our and our ancestors' labor generates and that has been wrongfully withheld from us. And all the breakfasts and luncheons and fish fries from Encobra and the rest of their ilk have left us nothing but hungry. Good day and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Jacques Hargett, Damien Bryson, Elaine Zangazanga, Eve, and Kenneth Presha. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you. Sure.